We've been in this series that we titled Worthy, and uh, we've been visiting the text in Revelation chapter 4, 5, and 6 regarding the seven seals. And uh, what today we'll learn, I want to illustrate it with this picture. With this picture. Not that one, this one. Okay, there you go. And uh, some of you have been there. Some of you have seen pictures, read books, seen movies. And this is known as the Roman Coliseum. And what we see in pictures, when we go in that place and when you walk around and when you take that selfie, there's something that you don't know. That the picture is not complete. The picture of this building is not complete because there's several events that happened that took away what once this building was to what now we, what we see. And you see what happens is that in, in 1349, there was an earthquake that demolished half of the upper rim of the Colosseum. Also, the walls of the Colosseum were covered with marble. In fact, when you, when you get closer, you might see some of those, some of those uh, holes on the, on the walls and in the columns, like right there. there were, those are pegs uh, or holes where the pegs of the marble were embedded with and held the marble. And you might have a question, like, where did the marble go? Well, it's just on the other side of the city in the St. Peter's Basilica. But see, what we see of the Colosseum now is not what it was before. One of the evidences that we have that the Colosseum was not in this shape, but was completely round, actually oval, was this coin from that time when the Colosseum was complete. Now, one of the things that happens in life is that when we don't have the whole picture, when we don't know the why things happen, when we don't know the original purpose, we tend to miss the wholeness of life. We, we tend to miss the experience of what's intended for us when it was designed originally. So when we don't know the why, we ignore the whole truth. And that is exactly the message of the third seal in Revelation chapter 6. Let's go to a to the text, Revelation chapter 6, and if you have your notes in the bulletin, you can, you can open them up, your Bibles, whatever version you're reading, it's uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 5, we're reading from the New International Version, and it says, when the Lamb opened the third seal, remember who the Lamb is? Jesus, Jesus, opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, I looked, and there before me was a Black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Now, let's, let's look at the rider. If you remember that the first rider uh, and the first horse, what color were they? White. But in this case, it's saying that this rider has a different color. And the color is black. But in the Greek, the reality of the color is a little bit different. In fact, it's the same word used for ink. So it's not necessarily black. But it's covering the original color. In fact, this horse has, it, it's tainted. 
the color of this horse is not letting us see the original color of the horse. Now, what this rider has in his hands is a pair of scales. Now, these scales, we see them today. In fact, anytime we go to a court, we see a statue of justice. You've seen that lady with a blindfold around her eyes and holding a scale. Because the scales, like that, with those two plates hanging, we change with a kind of a fulcrum in the middle, it's a symbol of justice. So what this horse is telling us is that there's something that is tainting the reality of what God is trying to give us. And whatever the outcome of our choice is, there is going to be a judgment passed. So the message of the first horse family is that life is incomplete without Jesus. And you see, we live in a culture, we live in a culture where we always want something else. We live in a culture of, of, of consumerism. You see, if I were to ask you, how many of you have an iPhone 8? Some of you will raise your hands because I know you have it. But in your heart, you want an iPhone 10. See, see, some of us are saying, because we have a computer that is a couple years old, we say, oh, my computer is kind of a slow now. Actually, your computer is the same speed. Just that when you compare it to the new one, it might be a little bit slower. See, you, you, you be, you've been driving a car for five years, maybe seven years. And you're thinking, I might get a new car. Because we always want something else. We always want the newer thing. We always want something better. And the reality of life is that as human beings, we are not complete. We are missing something. See, the reality of life is that in this world, there is always something that, that we are going to be missing. And that feeling of emptiness and lacking is due because of sin. And sin always makes us feel that there is something that we're lacking, something that we need, something that is missing. And we try to fulfill that emptiness, that hole, with things. And what this message in the, in the, the, of the third horse is telling us is that our life will always be lacking something unless we fill it with Jesus. Because that is the thing that we're lacking the most. Verse 6, then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages or six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. See, this text is not talking about a shopping list, a honey-do list that Richard got. It's talking about the experience that the people who are living in a color that is covering the reality of God for their lives, experience. Notice that this message comes from among the creatures. And if you remember the story, as we read it in chapter 5, the description of the throne of God, the description of that event in heaven, who is among the creatures, is the Lamb himself. So the one speaking from among the creatures is Jesus. And he's saying that it's time to pass judgment because he is the only one worthy of judging 
So what he's saying in the message to the third seal is that the time to make a choice, the time to make a decision is arrived. And you have to see things in the right color, otherwise you're going to miss. And you're going to make the wrong choice. Now, the language that, he, that is used in this text is very interesting. Because he says, for a day's wages. And you remember that story in Matthew where the man owner of a vineyard went on the road, on the road to find workers for the day. Remember that story? And early in the morning he went on the road and found workers and they began to work on, on the vineyard. And then in the middle of the day he went out again and got some other workers and he brought them to work in his, in, in his vineyard. And then at, almost at the end of the day he went out again and brought other workers. At the end of the day when he gave them their payment, it was a denarius. That was the value of a day's work. And what happened to these people was that all of them got the same payment. Those who got there early, those who got there in the middle of the day, and those who got there at the end. All of them got the same payment. That is exactly the idea in this text. That everyone is going to use whatever payment they get for a day. For what? What are they going to spend it on? Well, first, it says six pounds. I mean, a, a two pounds of wheat or a quarter measure of wheat. Depends on the Bible you're reading. Now, wheat was the staple grain in the, in the Jewish community in, the, in those days. That was what was used for, for bread. That was the, the necessity and, 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 and one of the valuable grains of the time. And what happens is that... Well, according to, 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 the, to the historians, they say that what one individual needed to survive in one day was exactly one quarter of wheat. So what he's saying here is that somebody has to work a full day. A full day to buy one measure for one person, one ration of wheat for one day. But maybe this person has a family. He says, well, if you don't buy the wheat, then you buy the, the lesser wanted grain, and that is going to be barley. And barley says right there, that is going to be six pounds or three quarters. And that would feed three people. But I don't know if you see it, family, but in this language that is given to us here, there's a scarcity. There, there's a famine. There's not enough. There's something lacking. People are working all day to barely survive. There's nothing left for anything else. See, in Palestine, bread and wine and oil are considered the basic necessities of life. And see... When this is all that is, can be bought with the wages of the day, there is a problem. So the issue with the, with the black horse family is that it's judgment and consequences. Let's go back to verse 6 in the second part. Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's Wages. How do they know it's a quarter? How do they know it's six pounds? 
because it was weighted. It was put on a scale, and it was declared that the weight of that grain was exactly one quarter. In the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, chapter 5, there is a story with something was weighted too. And if you remember the book of Daniel, it's very interesting because the people of Israel have been sent into exile into Babylon. But not everyone. Only the strong, the wise, the intelligent, and the handsome. That's what the Bible says, family. So, so they were taken to Babylon, and there they were instructed into the culture of the Babylonians and, and, and the Chaldeans and, and their history and their religion and, and what they wanted to do was to, to conquer the world with their own culture, which not bad at all. It was a great idea. And among those people who were taken from Judah into Babylon was Daniel and his friends. Daniel grew an old man working for the king. And Daniel was given a gift by God, and the gift was prayer. A lot of people believe that the gift of Daniel was Dream interpretation, but no, that was not his gift. That was a consequence of his gift. His gift was prayer. In fact, the Bible tells us that Daniel prayed how many times a day? You've read it before, right? Three times a day. In fact, they wanted to accuse him because he was praying. They couldn't find, the Bible tells us, anything wrong with him except that he prayed to his God. So Daniel has a gift of prayer. And as he prays, God reveals to him the dreams that the king had. Now, in chapter 5, Daniel is an old man. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king that he had interpreted the dreams for, is no longer in the, on the throne. Who's in the throne is Belshazzar, his grandson. And as he is on the throne, he was not like his father or his grandfather. He is a crazy guy. He's a party animal. In fact, in chapter 5, it begins like this. That he had a, had a party and he brought the utensils and, and the cups that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem to this party. And as he's celebrating with his friends, outside of the gates, outside of the city of Babylon, is a Persian army. There's a reason why he was doing this. He was trying to show that even though the Persians were outside, he didn't fear them and he was having a party but in that moment in the middle of the celebration a hand like the hand of a man appears and writes on the wall that's where the writing on the wall saying comes from he literally saw the writing on the wall but he could not understand what the writing was about so he asked who can do it his mother comes Tells them, you know, son, there was a man in the time of your father that he could interpret dreams. And he's a wise man. It's Daniel. And Daniel comes in, an old man. And Belshazzar asks him, hey, tell, tell us what that is about. And, and he says, see, what that means. And there were three words. Mene. Tekel, Huparsin. Three words. And he said, right there, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 27. Tekel says, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. You see, 
this is the way the scales work. See, because now you stepped on the scale in the bathroom and it just gives you the numbers. But in those days, it was a little bit different. You see, in those days, it, it has two plates because what happened was that if you wanted a pound, you would place the weight of a pound on a metal uh, shape thing, like a cylinder, you would put the pound right there on the plate, and then the grain would be on their side. If the scale was completely even, that meant that was exactly a pound. If the metal would lower, that meant that it was not a pound. But if the weight lower, that meant that it was more than a pound. So in this case, the king was weighted, and whatever he was weighted against was a lot heavier than him. That is a symbol of judgment. Judgment and famine go together in the Old Testament. The rider on the back black horse represents the, a famine, but not a physical uh, lacking, but it means that it's a famine of the Word of God. Are you with me? Now, the prophet Amos in the Old Testament expresses it in this way. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Are you with me? So what this horse represents is that even though there's an abundance of Bibles in today's world, there's a still famine of understanding and hearing the Word of God. You know that today the average household has four Bibles? How many of you have one Bible? At least. How many of you have two? How many of you have three? How many of you have four? Five? Six? Seven, eight, okay, I'm going to stop right there or we'll keep going the whole morning. But, but notice what happened. Notice what happened. We have a Bible in our phone. In fact, we have all the versions in our phone because we can go online and read in any language, any version that we want. However, according to, 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 to results from, from, the, from the Pew Institute of Statistics, they say that the average Christian, the average what? Christian, not non-believer, Christian, reads the Bible for five minutes a week. So our perspective of God is tainted. We don't see the whole picture. We are in the times of the black horse. Because we are not experiencing the fullness of the gospel in our lives because we're not allowing God God's Word to be a part of our life's experience daily. Now the famine is difficult. The famine is hard. The famine is evident according to the Scripture. However, the famine is not lethal. As we've been comparing the Old Testament with the, with the book of Revelation, we find, I found something very, very interesting. That there's always two sides to these horses. And one of those sides is that there's always a positive side. And the book of Deuteronomy says in chapter 11, verse 14, like this. 
Then he will send the rains in their proper seasons, the early and late rains. So you can bring in your harvest of grain, new wine, and olive oil. You see the wine, the grain, and the olive oil? You see it? But it says here that it, it is a promise that there will be rain for you to harvest. Rain at the beginning and rain at the end so the fruit and the grain can grow. And you have a nice harvest. That's the positive side of it. But the same book, Moses writes in, in chapter 28, verse 51. Its armies will devour your livestock and crops and you will be destroyed. They will leave, no, they will leave you no grain, new wine, olive oil, calves or lambs, and you will starve to death. There's a positive side and there's a negative side. If you abide by the things that I tell you, there's going to be a positive thing. That you're going to be in the middle of a great harvest. But when you don't, when you forget, when your life is tainted, when your life is lacking the experience with me, the experience with the white horse, with Jesus, what's going to happen is that you're going to be in a famine. But see, even though this famine, the famine exists and the famine is real, and it's terrible, like I said, it's not lethal. In fact, Ellen G. White gives us a promise. And this promise is very amazing. In, in the book, Great Controversy, chapter, uh, uh, page 595 in perfect 1, says, but God will have a people. It's talking about the end time, right before Jesus comes. It says, but God will have, there you go. But God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard for all doctrines and basis for all reforms. Let's stop right there for a second. Right before Jesus comes, she says, there's going to be a group of people that will use the Bible and the Bible alone. It's amazing that she says regarding her writings that her writings are a lesser light and the Bible is a greater light. If there's something that we have to use to preach, it's not her writings, it's the Bible. Because that's what she said. That before the end time, what we have to look for is the group of people that will use the Bible and the Bible alone. Notice what he continues saying. Before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plan, thus says the Lord. And it's support. So family, even though this famine is real... It's not lethal because there's always going to be a remnant that will continue to uphold the Scriptures as a fundament for their lives. And if you remember in the text, it says, And do no damage to the oil and the wine. This protection means that Jesus is still in control. When we look to, to, to the same book of Revelation, chapter 9, verse 4, it says, They were told not to harm the grass and the earth or any plant or tree. Now, this, this do not harm is very interesting because everyone, every time that we hear do not harm, is Jesus giving an order to angels, giving an order to the winds, giving an order to the riders, giving an order to those who are harming. And he says, but... Do not harm this or that. And usually this or that, whatever is mentioned, like the wine or the, or the oil, are things 
or people that belong to God. See, in this case, in verse 4, in chapter 9, they were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree. And it's amazing that in this passage, when it refers to plants and trees, actually in Revelation, across the book of Revelation, it means the people of God. Those who bear the good fruits. But only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Those who don't have the seal of God, yeah, you can go ahead and damage. So in this case, it's saying do not harm the wine and the oil. We know that the grain, because of the context of the scripture, represents the word of God. The bread of life. And we know at this time that, that this bread, it's in low quantities. Because there's scarcity. There's a famine. Even though we have it so readily available in people's hearts and minds, it's rare. But it also says the oil. Now the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And that's in all the scripture. They all represent the Holy Spirit. And, and if you remember one thing from, from uh, the early messages in this series, is that the only power that can bring us closer to God is what? The Holy Spirit. So he's saying, don't harm it. Because even though not a lot of people are connected, there's some who will be connected. There's some who are looking for God. There's some who are looking to find the truth about Jesus. Now, um, about a year and a half ago, oh, the grain is the Word of God, sorry. They all is the Holy Spirit. But a year and a half ago, I was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And some of you will have a chance to be there at the end of the year. And one, one of the things that just hit me with meaning was that that tree in the middle of the, of the, of the garden, according to the people who were describing this place to us, they said that it's about 1,700 years old. Now, see, olive trees grow different than any other tree. See, for any other tree, we know that when we cut it, we can count the rings in the trunk, and we know how old the tree is because it's roughly one ring per year. But olive trees grow in a different way. Olive trees, don't, the trunk does not grow like the other trees. What happens is that from the ground, from the roots, another shoot comes out that gets entangled with the rest of the other shoots. And every growth spur that this tree, olive tree has is another growth that comes out and gets entangled with the others, forming together a thick trunk. So this tree that is there, 1,700 years old, it's an offshoot. It's a growth of the trees that were there when Jesus prayed in the garden. Now, today, all of us are growths of that same tree. That is why the lamb called from the middle and said, do not harm the olive oil. Do not harm it. 
The next thing is the wine. And, and wine is very interesting because wine, we talk about it in communion. We talk about its meaning and we know that represents salvation in Christ. We know that without the wine, there's no salvation. We know that without the blood, there's no remission of sin. So that represents salvation in Christ. Now, that means that do not harm it in the middle of the crisis means that even though there's a crisis of the knowledge of God, there's still power in the blood of Jesus. And see, there's a probation time for those who need to, to face and make a decision about Christ, but there's still hope in the middle of the darkness. See, and the hope is for people to return, for, for the gospel to be preached. And another image that comes to mind is that in the Old Testament, in Bible times, the wine and the oil were used as medicine. They were used as, as remedies for people in sickness. And what happened was that they mixed them or they used them separately depending on the situation. In fact, James the Apostle recommends to anoint with oil when people were sick. So these remedies today work in a different way. Because see, the text is clear telling us that even though the Word, the word of God might be in low amounts... The power of God is still working, and it's working because today God is still healing. And 1 Peter 3.21 says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not talking about emblems only, but he's talking about the power of God. He's talking about Jesus' salvific power working today in our lives. And even though we live in a dark world, we live in a time when the Word of God is suppressed and, and, and is rejected by a lot of people, He's still working in our hearts one by one according to our needs. See, these symbols represent, in this message of the third rider, of the third horse, represent the redemptive action of the Messiah. It, it, it's kind of a, a, a healing balm in the church's self-inflicted wounds. Because all of us, at some point in time, have been injured by sin. And what God is offering is a remedy for those wounds. Is a remedy to heal where we have pain and to fulfill what we're lacking. The evangelist Billy Graham used to say that in the heart of every man there is a heart, a, a, an emptiness, there is a gap that is shaped with the form of Jesus. When we talk about art, one of the most beautiful things is to see how ancient art pieces are restored. Because time, the environment, the surroundings make art pieces obscure and dark. Oftentimes, fungus grows on them because of the materials that were used. And after time, they lose their color, their brightness, their beauty. 
But there's a time when an artist, not necessarily the one who painted it originally, but an artist that cares, comes to the rescue of that art piece. And with delicate hands and an amazing touch, visualizes what that pain originally was like. And patiently and attentive to every detail, restores that art piece until it becomes once again what it was originally like. The message of the Revelator today is that even though we might have been darkened by this world, even though we might have lose our luster, and maybe our smile is lost and darkness has set in our heart, He's still willing to restore us back to what we once were designed to be. Jesus still wants to paint a smile on your face. Jesus wants to change your pain into joy. Jesus wants to fill the gap of emptiness in your life with the peace and hope that He can only give. Because even in the middle of famine, Jesus is ready to satisfy.